the quantum mechanics. Yes, we are the quantum mechanics, the paranormal podcast for the believers, the doubters, and everyone in between. And um, it's getting cold, which means October is upon us, which means it's Halloween. Oh, it's nearly Halloween. Yes, I've seen uh, my son, who's a bit obsessed with Halloween, is planning his costume quite uh quite immense detail at the moment i've seen the mask hanging in the other room it's actually terrifying (laughs) yeah yeah no he he i think i I think he likes halloween more than christmas i think i like halloween more than christmas not for any other reason than it's kind of the first it's the first one of the season and you start thinking oh yeah it's the the evenings are drawing in it's an excuse to like put the fire on yeah um maybe maybe have that pulled pork bap (laughs) yeah yeah bob and apple bob and apple yeah (laughs) you know that's supposed to be how you used to divine who was going to get married first or something i think i think that's where the apple bombing comes from yeah um it was something to do with the first person to actually catch the apple is going to be the one to be married first it was kind of like done by maidens or something it was always bob it was always Bob. <laughs> he had a very, very complex routine for how he would decide who to date. Yeah. <laughs> it was all fruit-based. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they didn't have Tinder in those days, did they? No, that's true. No, no. Well, that is a, a neat way of getting us oh, into... <laughs> into... Well, uh, okay, how can... This is the sex... We had, we had James's trousers last week. How can I... Oh, well... Um, Maybe he wouldn't need that mechanism if he had the ability of premonition, Ben. Oh, okay. Ah, oh, because he could see that he would need trousers. Yes, or, or 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 in terms of dating, he would know who he was going to marry, Bob. Oh, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. Right, right. I must move on from the trousers. Wow, I managed to do the perfect segue. You completely screw sorry, me. Sorry, <laughs> I forgot we were doing apple popping. Right, got it. Okay. I, all right, I'm going to go for the episode. It's not working. <laughs> but we have covered premonition and psychic second sight many times on the podcast, right? Yeah. Uh, especially in the episode we did on Sam Knight's amazing book about the Premonitions Bureau. Yeah. And we looked at some amazing individuals with incredible powers to predict future disasters. But I was thinking it's one thing to find examples of individuals that seem to have these incredible abilities. It's another thing to find whole communities that seem to possess high levels of psychic ability of premonition. And that's what I want to talk about today oh i've never heard of such a thing well specifically the belief that communities in the highlands of scotland possess or possessed what is known in gaelic as oh here we go i'm this one is going to be a classic for pronunciation i think i'm going to do this reasonably well what's known in gaelic as andershoag that sounds reasonable yeah which translates in english to two sites the first sight being seeing the world of sense, so I guess that's the normal world around us. The second being able to see the world of spirits. Oh, I see. Sight as in S-I-G-H-T. Yes, exactly. Oh, I yes, see, yes, I see. yes, yes, yes. Now, tales of Scottish Highlanders' natural ability and premonition have been circulating for hundreds of years, which led a man called Lord Larbolt to conduct a study of Second Sight in the Highlands of Scotland in 1652. Oh, he was ahead of himself. He really was. And he wrote about seeing 
seemingly natural abilities of the Highlanders in a letter which was later published, quite a lot later, but it was published in 1876 in the magazine The Gale, volume 5, page 78, for those of you who like a good citation. <laughs> those who are reading along. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you just want to read along. I wouldn't because I haven't really got much of the letter. What he does say is that there were men, women and children who had second sight. None of them could tell how they got it. Now, I couldn't find much more detail about the study, to be honest, apart from that extract from the letter. But there are other early recording acknowledgement of the power of second sight in the inhabitants of the Scottish Highlands, such as from the writings of George Sinclair. So, published in the late 17th century... George Sinclair was the first professor of mathematics at the University of Glasgow. <laughs> and Sinclair wrote an incredibly titled book called Satan's Invisible World Discovered. That sounds like, that sounds quite interesting. Yeah. Well, it's a history of paranormal activity and legend of the Scottish Highlands, including witches and ghosts, but it also includes second sight abilities. Now, as you can probably tell, Ben, by the title of the book, Satan's Invisible World Discovered, Sinclair had strong views on where the Highlander's power of second sight came from. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's kind of playing his hand there. <laughs> yeah, and he says in the book, I'm undoubtedly informed that men and women in the Highlands can discern fatality approaching in others by seeing them in waters or with winding sheets about them. It is not improbable, but that such preternatural knowledge comes from a compact with the devil and is derived downwards by succession to their posterity. Many of such, I suppose, are innocent and have the sight against their will and inclination. <laughs> well, I kind of think that Jules Sinclair is setting out his stool there, right? <laughs> <laughs> the Highlanders made a pact with the devil in exchange for the second sight. I, I I mean, wouldn't you do a pact for something better than... Yeah, you think, you know, yeah, something a bit more useful. I mean, I suppose it comes in relatively handy, but it's not as good as, like, loads of gold or something. Yeah, well, I did chuckle his bit where he said, derived downwards by succession to their posterity. Many of such, I suppose, are innocent. It's slightly <laughs> <laughs> begrudging, isn't it? <laughs> I guess. Yeah, some of them are, I guess. But probably one of the most important accounts of Highland Community's ability of premonition comes from a tutor called Martin Martin. Sorry, who? Martin Martin? Well, yeah, I'll come to his name oh, in a minute. Right. He, uh, who, in 1690, was commissioned to map and document life in the Western Isles of Scotland. And as you guessed, <laughs> I'd like to thank Martin Martin in advance, as that is not actually his Gaelic name. It's one he adopted. In some ways, I like to believe that he knew our propensity for terrible pronunciation of anything but the most basic English on this podcast. Well, he, he got some second sight. Yeah, that 350 years ago, he had a premonition and knew I'd be saying it on the podcast, so decided to change his name to Martin Martin. I quite like the idea of his mates going, you need to change it to something that everyone can say. Yeah. All right, I'll be Martin. But Martin what? <sighs> Martin. Well, I'm going to spell out his uh, his Gaelic name. Uh it's M-A, I think it's A with, I think they call it a grave. That's the one with the kind of slat, you know, the... Mm -hmm. the, the roof. The, yep. Yeah. Uh, so it's M-A 
R-T-A-I-N-N. Kind of Martin, mm. kind of the, the, his second name though. M-A-C, capital G, I-double-L-E-M-H-A with the roof, T-A-I-N-N. I'm not even going to have a crack at that. I'm just happy he decided to go by the name Martin Martin. <laughs> yes. Imagine signing a cheque with that. Yeah, incredible, isn't it? Now, Martin's study was, weirdly, it was not meant to be about the paranormal. He was in the Highlands to map the islands and document kind of everyday life there. But when his study was published in 1703, he devoted over 35 pages to the paranormal phenomena of Second Sight. That's a lot. Yeah. So uh, he, he obviously came across a lot of it. And I've got some examples of some of the ones. Oh, so he went around and collected some stories. Didn't yeah. He? Yeah. And some of them are quite incredible. Now, he believed that there seemed to be a culture of the ability among the inhabitants of the Western Isles of Scotland. And he also believed that some islands, on some islands, whole communities had the ability of second sight or premonition. Mm hmm. In his study, he reports stories of people seeing friends fall off their horses when they were far from home, only for the mishap to be confirmed when they returned from their travels. There's this really weird account of a man who was eating his supper when a corpse materialised among the plates. What? Yeah. I, I, it was a bit like a, a physical kind of banshee encounter. You know, you, you normally just hear a banshee, right? But it, yeah. it was a kind of premonition of someone's death. There is an amazing tale, or amazing tales, there's multiple actually, of whole groups of villagers riding out to greet horsemen or funeral processions, only to find that they were days or even weeks too early. Ooh. But, mm, no, I'll come, I'll question, uh, questions later, questions later. Um, this is weird as well. Martin was sometimes greeted by islanders who had foreseen his coming. So he'd arrive on the island and they'd all be waiting for him because they knew he'd be coming. He didn't have a massive boat, did he? <laughs> he might have had a mo- <laughs> <laughs> Or maybe he had a mobile phone. He just texted. They were all on WhatsApp. <laughs> Sometimes he heard reports of him being seen hundreds of miles away from where he actually was. Kind of like a doppelganger phenomenon. Yeah, yeah. And actually, talking about doppelgangers, Martin's reports, uh, he reported on a man on the Isle of Lewis who was haunted by a doppelganger, who harangued him when he was working on the land, but remained quiet and polite when inside the house. Which is nice, I think. That is nice. However, the man grew tired of these visions and threw a piece of burning coal at it. Take that. (laughs) Take that, yeah. Well, that that didn't work out very well for him, Ben. In return, the spirit beat him black and blue. (laughs) Now, I'm... Was it really a spirit? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it says a minister was summoned Mm. and the congregation gathered around the haunted man to pray for his survival. And then it says, but it was no use. So he was actually killed by a ghost? He was killed by a ghost, yeah. A doppelganger. Killed by his own doppelganger. Uh, mm. uh, well, I suppose. I mean, okay, he's got physical form then. The 
doppelganger. Yeah, well, there's another. There's another really. I think he might have had a brother. <laughs> yeah, yeah, his twin brother that you never knew. About. Yeah, who <laughs> was quite happy when he was inside sitting by the fire, but didn't like working in the fields. Yeah. Um, in another spooky doppelganger tale, Martin describes a young woman on the Isle of Skye who kept seeing a vision of a woman with her back to her. The spooky woman wore the same clothes as her, but always appeared back turned. Martin writes, Until the woman tried an experiment to satisfy her curiosity, the woman put her clothes on back to front. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's what I do, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That'll work. She was trying to coax the spirit to turn around, and it fell out accordingly. I don't mean fell out of the dress, I think it turned around, basically. For the vision soon after presented itself with its face and dress looking towards the woman and proved to resemble herself in all points. And it says, and she died a little time later. Hey, see, we've heard this before, haven't I, we? I thought I'd heard this story before. It's not this, exactly the same, is it? You told a story like this. Yeah, we were talking about doppelgangers um, portenting death. Because it's supposed to be very, very bad luck mm. to, to see your own doppelganger. But wasn't there one where somebody did put their clothes on back to front? Or have I got some kind of weird premonition that I was going to do it, but you've already done um, it? I don't remember them putting their clothes on back to front. Uh, there was um, th- there was one where they changed their clothes and the doppelganger followed them in their change of dress. But I don't know. Uh, okay. Maybe they did put them on back to front. Although, now you've said it, I'm sure I made a lame joke about Criss Cross. But, yeah, um, I, that's, that I seem to remember. Okay, I'll have to go back through... Back yeah. through the doppelganger notes, yeah. Well, that is either the same story or it's very, very similar. Yeah. But, but they are Martin's words in his study, in his paper. There seemed to be a theme here that's kind of part doppelganger and almost kind of Banshee-like. I know Banshee's more a sound than a physical apparition, but they seem to have elements of both, right? Yeah, yeah, very much. Yeah, well, again, Banshee being a portent of death and... Um, yeah and actually also only being able at in some cases to be heard by the experiencer and not their friends yeah or yeah. the experiencer and their family but not the other visitors to the house for example yeah, yeah 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 well martin himself in the study commented on the fact that he did not these did not seem to be isolated incidents that somehow there was almost a culture of second sight in the western isles of scotland he writes The second sight is not a late discovery seen by one or two in a corner or a remote aisle. It was experienced by both men and women. It was not obviously inheritable. It did not manifest with drink. It was not something that people especially enjoyed. Yeah, I can understand that. That It would be a bit of a curse. Yeah, which kind of does knock back the idea that they did a deal with the devil, although those deals with the devil always go wrong, don't they? So maybe yeah. it is. He also believed that this was a social uh, phenomena that when people left the Western Isles, they would lose the ability of second sight. Mine illustrated this with a story. He says, Four men from the Isle of Skye and Harris, having gone to Barbados, stayed there for 14 years. And though they will want to see the second sight in their native country, they never saw it in Barbados. But upon their return to England, the first night after they landed, they saw the second sight. And this was told to me by several of their acquaintances. That's Yeah, that's interesting. So that might also 
sort of speak to the ability being caused by localized spirits i guess that might be a conclusion they might have yeah or yeah or something to do with the land itself yeah but so i was kind of going with that train of thought ben um until i came across some examples from canada where they might disagree with martin's theory that it was just in the highlands of scotland And it seems the ability of Second Sight travelled with many people of Scottish Highland descent who emigrated to Canada, especially Celtic communities in Nova Scotia. So I came across some examples of Second Sight from some of these Canadian communities with Scottish descent. I've got a few which I'm just going to go through. Um, This one is from the late 1900s. And interestingly, this this really fascinated me, that they said in the account that names had been redacted and this was to do with fear of persecution or being accused of witchcraft, Mm. which I thought was really interesting. So let's start with the man whose brother was dying uh, and he was hoping a priest would arrive before his brother passed. He writes, During the summer vacation of 1879, Father N was asked one Sunday morning to go up the river to see my brother, who was on his deathbed. The distance was a little better than two miles. I was about 19 years old. I did not know that Father N's brother, who was an ecclesiastic, was visiting him that day, nor that he was in existence. About 30 or 35 minutes before the priest actually arrived, I was standing near the house above the road, and saw Father N and his horse and wagon passing up the road and with another man, who was not so tall. They were both dressed like priests. The view I got of them was as distinct as if possibly could be, but it lasted a very short time. I can say that it was gone in a moment or two. Some person asked, I wonder, is Father N coming? Yes, I said, he will come and there'll be another man with him. Sure enough, some minutes later, this reality was before me, at the same identical spot, and a most perfect reproduction of the vision it was. That's weird, because it's not just a a thing that they are sort of intuiting, they're actually seeing it. Seeing it, and he wasn't expecting two priests... Uh, and he says the vision he saw was of two priests and they were identical in terms of look. And he he was holidaying there, so I'm not even sure if he knew the, what the original priest looked like anyway, the priest that was supposed to be coming. God, that's quite a convincing one. Well, I'll tell you what it reminded me of, Ben. I thought that was quite Vardiga-like. Mm, yeah. Yeah, this kind of is. premonition of some... I mean, I know it's more somebody coming home, but, you know, he... It's, I mean, I guess all premonitions to some degree are a bit Vardiga-like, but it was the fact that he saw the exact same thing that was to happen mm, yeah, 30 yeah. minutes before it did actually happen that reminded me of kind of those Vardiga stories. Yeah, yeah. Also slightly reminds me of um, Jeff the Mongoose, who used to tell the family about people who were going to arrive. That's true. Yeah, yeah, very Jeff as well. 
Well, I've got another example of Canadian Scottish roots that also feels very Vardica-like. It's from the late 1800s, from a book published by the Right Reverend Bishop MacDonald. <laughs> the Right Reverend Bishop. You're, you're going to love this. He published this account in his brilliantly titled book, A Bit of an Autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love that. It's like, it's the 1800s. What do I call my book? A bit of an autobiography. That is that is a very, like, that's that's the sort of thing that a comedian from the 70s would call yeah, their book. Yeah, yeah, or David Walliams. Oh, yeah, that's true, yeah. <laughs> well, the right reverend writes, When I was about seven or eight years of age, my father went from home with two jet black horses. He was minded to sell or barter one or both of them. He was away several days and my grandmother was getting very anxious about him. Every once in a while she would ask me to go out and look if I could see him coming. Some three hours before sundown I went out and saw him entering a gate opening on the main road, a quarter of a mile away. He had two brown or bay horses and was mounted on one of them. I ran in to tell that I had seen him mention the colour of the horses. Everybody rushed out to look but could see him nowhere. There was no telly in those days. (laughs) Yeah. But in an hour or two from then, I went out once more and saw him in the same place with the two brown horses. He was exactly there then. He had swapped both of the horses from which he had gone from home and the incident is still very vivid in my memory. I would set it down as a hallucination were it not that I distinctly saw two brown horses and specified this circumstance on running into the house, mm. as my sister can still bear witness. Mm. So this is a reverend, right? This is the right reverend. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Again, very Vardiga-like, right? It is very Vardiga-like. And also, it's different if it's coming from a reverend because presumably no one's suggesting he did a deal with the devil. No, no. Not with that title of his book, a bit of an autobiography. I I love the the level of detail, though. He comes running in. He's there, and he's got two brown horses. (laughs) One of them's caught no way. That's the modern-day equivalent of running in going, oh, I've just seen uh, David. He's got a red car. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it could be brown or bay, he says. Oh, oh, well, yeah. So I kind of thought, though, it seems that this community-wide or probably more accurately community prevalent second sight, it's kind of seen in the 16th and 17th century in the Highlands and then kind of travels when people emigrate to Canada and is kind of seen there in the 18th and 19th century, which I thought was fascinating. That is... um... Yeah, I mean, it sort of suggests that it goes with with a people, though, rather than the yes the location, yeah. Which I will come on to in a minute with a really interesting scientific study. But I'll save that for a little bit. So I was keen to keep this episode about the community and cultural aspect rather than individual soothsayers. But I came across a great story, which I just had to include. Uh, it's the legend of the Brahan Seer. Have you heard of this? It's no. It's quite famous. Sometimes, sometimes this story is also known as Dark Kenneth. Dark Kenneth? <laughs> yeah. 
which does sound a little less mysterious, doesn't it? Yeah, that <laughs> that sounds like that sounds like a comedian from the seventies. I, I, so, I was trying to think of some really kind of ones that were supernatural. Stan, <laughs> Wizardy Will, <laughs> Demonic Dave. <laughs> Angry Anderson. Oh, oh no, no, that's, that's real. That's real. That's, that's real. real. Dark Kenneth. I'll come on to the Kenneth bit in a minute. Now there are different versions of this story, but I'm going with the version I found in scottclans.com, which is a very interesting <laughs> website, which you wouldn't think existed, but it does. <laughs> so they say living around the same time as the legendary Nostradamus was a farm labourer called. This is where some pronunciation may go awry. I'm just warning you was a farm labourer called Koinech Odar. His prophecies are maybe not as well known as his contemporary, but the alarming accuracy of his predictions have added to the sense of mystery that still exists around the Black Isles. Indeed, many of those locals to this area of Scotland still hold the predictions in great reverence. The Brahan Seer was possibly born near Uig, U-I-G, I guess. Uig, yeah, yeah, yeah on the Isle of Lewis towards the end of the 17th century. His gift of second sight was reputed to come from a small blue and black stone with a hole in the centre, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Now, the legend goes that his mother had witnessed spirits wandering around a near graveyard and had prevented one spirit from returning after her wandering. She finally allowed the spirit to go back to rest after she had been given the stone as a gift in return. That just sounds not very nice. It's a bit blackmaily, that, isn't it? It's very blackmaily. We've had a few of those on, you know. Yeah, and it's like, it's always portrayed as if they've done the right thing. Yeah. Like, I just went for a little wander, stretched my legs. I'm just going to go back to my resting place. No, I'm not. I don't know how you stop them, but she obviously did. Yeah. Well... Koenach, I'm probably going to say it about 15 different times in this reading, but there you go. Koenach Odar travels led him to an area near Strathpetha. He lived on Loch Usi and worked on the Brehan Estates, home to the powerful Seaforth Mackenzies. That's a great name, isn't it? <laughs> yes. It was from here that many of his prophecies were made. He predicted the Battle of Culloden and the demise of the Highland way of life. One prediction, he was walking on Drom Mosi Moor when he said, the bleak wilderness will be stained with the best bloods of the Highlands. Glad I am I will not live to see that day where heads will be lopped off in the heather and no life spared. Half a century later, the infamous Battle of Culloden was fought on this spot. Ooh. Furthermore, in another prediction, he said that the clans will become so effeminate as to flee from their native country before an army of sheep. <laughs> A very direct reference to the Highland clearances. Bit harsh, though. It is a bit harsh, but I, I now I get the reference. I see what he's saying, but I, I, I thought he was genu genuinely saying being chased off by a sheep, but... Um, some of his predictions saw a return of the fortunes of Scotland and other advancements such as this statement. Strange as it may seem to this day, time will come and it is not far off 
when full rig ships will be seen sailing eastward and westward by the back of Tomna Hurich near Inverness. A hundred years later, the Caledonian Canal linked the lochs along the Great Glen. That was a good prediction. This one, this next one, is a corker. He also was reported to have said that Scotland's Parliament would return when a man could walk from England to France without getting their feet wet. Oh. With the building of the Channel Tunnel, this was indeed possible, and the Scottish Parliament soon followed. Because that must have seemed really sarcastic at the time. Yeah, because you just, you know, I guess you could jump on a boat without getting your feet wet, couldn't you? But still. Yeah. But, Gosh. Walk, but you couldn't walk all the way, so yeah. That's, I, I like that one, yeah. Another prediction sounded downright bizarre. In nearby Strathpeffer, he predicted that when a fifth spire was built in the town, a ship would snag its anchor on the newest one. Oh my God, we're not back to sky ships again, are we? Have you got the power of premonition? (laughs) The townsfolk were mindful of this years later when indeed a fifth spire was erected in the town. Thinking that he was predicting a great flood... They were relieved in 1932 when an airship attending a nearby fair caught its moorings on the spire and it fulfilled the prediction. Oh, okay. It was a, it was a terrestrial... Yeah, no, it wasn't thing. an alien one. But you can see when he made the prediction, people yeah. were saying, you know, oh, how, how's, how's, a, how's a ship going to get caught on yeah, a yeah, spire? Yeah, yeah, I would have gone flood, yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> this next bit is just downright crazy. Unfortunately for the seer, the accurate and the precise nature of his predictions were to be his downfall. His powers had come to the attention of his employee, the Earl of Seaforth, and his wife, while the Earl, who was called Kenneth, (laughs) was away in Paris, his wife Isabel called for Koinich Odar and asked him to tell her how her husband was. The seer seemed reluctant to give any information, and simply said that he was in good health. This enraged Isabella, who demanded more information. The seer then told her that her husband was on his knees in front of a French lady fairer than herself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, this is when you don't want to see her around, isn't it? Was he... I mean, uh, he wasn't being beheaded or something terrible, was he? No, I, I, I think there was something a little more um, carnal, uh, carnal going on. Oh, yeah, 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 meat. This was all too much information for Lady Isabel, and she flew into a rage. It's a bit harsh, this bit. And she had the poor seer thrown into a barrel of hot tar. Oh, for God's sake, it's always the guy at the end. He's just relaying the note. Yeah, don't shoot the messenger. That's literally the point of that saying. Yeah, don't, don't, it should have been don't drown the messenger in a barrel of hot tar. Maybe he should have just Lied. sort of said, oh, he's having a nice sleep. Yeah, yeah. He's fine. He's buying you a lovely gift. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's right. Well, he, he had one last prediction on his, uh, while he was being dragged to his barrel that he was going to be uh, thrown into. As he was being dragged off to meet his fate, he made his last and most chilling prediction, and it was a curse on the family of Mackenzie. 
The lines of Seaforth will come to an end in sorrow. I see the last head of his house, both deaf and dumb. He will be the father of four fair sons, all of whom he will follow to the tomb. He will live careworn and die mourning, knowing that the honours of his line are to be extinguished for ever, that no future chief of the Mackenzies shall bear the rule of Brehan or Kintail. So that was his uh, his kind of curse on his, his on his way to his death, and in 1783, Francis Humberston Mackenzie inherited the title. He was indeed deaf and mute due to a childhood attack of scarlet fever. He had four children, all of whom died prematurely, fulfilling the final prophecy. Mm. The article says, To this day, the Brahan Seer's predictions are remembered in this part of the Highlands. The fireside tales have been passed down through generations, and some evidence exists on how serious the local people take his prophecies. In the small town of Strathpetha stands the Eagle Stone, a small Celtic standing stone. He predicted that if the stone fell three times, the nearby lock would burst its bank and flood the village. It has fallen twice already and has now been cemented into place. <laughs> the thing that I never get about those sorts of predictions is like, yeah, if that falls over three times, well, why not just say, oh, in 18... Uh, do blah de blah, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of it's so random. It's it's like if a bird sings over there in twenty years, that man over there will die. It's like why? Why connect those things? It's not quite as exciting, is it? No, I suppose. To say not. in nineteen thirty five it's gonna fall over and there's gonna be a flood. You need some kind of mechanism, don't you? Yeah. You, you need to make the story good. And uh, to be honest, Ben. There are many people that think these tales of the Brehan Seer are nothing more than, you know, tales, fireside tales. Um, and I, I thought I'd, th- I'd, I'd explain it by throwing in this famous Scottish saying, a lie is halfway ruined Scotland afore the truth has its boots on. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that is really good. I love that. <laughs> it's a great thing. Well, isn't we've it? seen that to be bloody true, haven't we, <laughs> yeah. in the news? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, probably great tales of prophecies to to tell children by the fireside than necessarily real. But there, you know, there are a lot of people who believe that the Brahan seer was real and that his prophecies were real as well. I, really, I mean, somebody would have had to make them up otherwise, right? Somebody's going to have to write them. Like the, I guess you could post-rationalise them. And so, you know, like when the Channel Tunnel was built, did somebody then write one that kind of, oh, we predicted that? Well, yeah. I wonder whether he actually meant it another way. And he was like, you know, it's the equivalent of when hell freezes over. Yeah, sort of, yeah, sort yeah. Of thing. Yeah. But I, I hope there's a modern seer who is putting modern references in, you know. When a man shall eat a whisper bar that is flavoured <laughs> of orange then the Welsh Parliament will fall, you know, just kind of like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when the quantum mechanics reach one million subscribers, great wealth will be bestowed upon them. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would be true. Yeah, yeah. That would be true. That would be true. I don't know if it will come true. Um, 
So there are a number of historical counts and legends that suggest that Highland communities had the power of second sight. But as I was mentioning earlier, I was interested in if there'd been any more recent scientific studies into the phenomenon. That sounds like quite a long shot, right, Ben? I would have thought so. Well, I came across a 1996 survey by Anne Cohen from the Edinburgh University titled... Scottish Traditions of Second Sight and Other Psychic Experiences in Families. Well, she's from a university which is better than the production company. <laughs> yeah, that we did the other way. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if this is peer-reviewed or not, but if it's something to do with the university, it probably is, right? Yeah. So I'm going to summarise bits of the paper and read your extracts, because, you know, when you come across these and you just go, wow, that... A, the thing that always amazes me is the bonkers things that people do surveys on. Mm-hmm. Mm. And we've come across many that kind of cover paranormal topics. So I'm just going to read it because I read it and was like, wow, this is amazing. So it says, Second sight, a special psychic ability of having prophetic visions, is traditionally believed to be a natural inborn faculty of mind running in certain families in Scotland and other countries. Detailed written accounts of second sight from the 17th century onward are consistent with modern-day accounts collected both by folklorists and ethnologists. The visions could take the form of either of direct representation of someone's fate, such as seeing a funeral procession, or symbolic representations, such as seeing a death shroud on someone. Mm-hmm. The current study, using questionnaires and interview methods, examined the prevalence of second sight, the nature of the experience, and whether there is any evidence to support the belief that it is hereditary. Which we did mention earlier. Mm. A large-scale ma- male survey, uh, that's, that's postal rather than men, mm-hmm. uh, using random sampling methods, showed that the frequency of second sight was 10% in the Western Isles of Scotland, 16% in the Highlands and Lowlands, and 33% in the Grampian region. This is self-reported... Self-reported questionnaires. I see. Followed up by interviews, I believe. I see. So Grampian's doing well. That's on the East Coast, I believe. Yeah, yeah, it is. I remember it from... When it was an ITV region. Yes, the Grampian region. Yeah, yeah. My grandparents could get it in Cheshire. <laughs> now, there's Apropos a premonition. <laughs> <laughs> when someone in Cheshire <laughs> shall see a Grampian man yeah. far away. <laughs> the quantum mechanics will gain great wealth. <laughs> <laughs> so going back to the study, generally neither Highland descent nor gender seem to be significantly related to people reporting Second Sight. In all the areas, people reported having second sight were significantly more likely to report second sight in blood-relative family members. The responses indicated that second sight is experienced by people of diverse ages, occupations, religious and cultural traditions. Women tended to report more experiences than men. An important factor related to having second sight was having a religious experience. Fieldwork was conducted in different parts of Scotland. 70 people were interviewed and over 500 accounts were collected. A consistent feature 
is that the imagery, whether visual, auditory, kinesthetic or olfactory, that's smell, right, Mm -hmm. was described as real and not originating purely in the mind of the observer. This was true whether the emotional content was positive or negative. Right, okay. Some of the visions were seen as quick film-like images through the mind. Others appeared as projected three-dimensional images, which became the central focus of perception. Ah, this is just like the guy with the horse. This is the same Yeah, same yeah, deal. exactly, yeah. yeah. Two of the most common types of second sight experiences are awake visions of future deaths of people well known to the participant or of another unfamiliar persons. Accounts of seeing funeral processions and death shrouds are rarely reported today. A total of 130 pedigrees from people with a history of second sight were constructed. The result of pedigree and segregational analysis demonstrates that second sight seems consistent with an autosomal, which I think is a chromosome, dominant inheritance pattern, especially for small family sizes. Wow. Though certain aspects of the data favoured a social and cultural model, it was argued that they were still consistent with second sight having an underlying genetic component. It was speculated that second sight may be a part of the creative mental process of what may be hereditary in the way information is received and processed by the brain and is expressed in different sensory modalities. So it could it could mean rather than just having the ability, excuse me, to see second second sight, it could be that, um, for example, you hear that person X is poorly, and you creatively make a thing in your brain that yep. right, I'm going to see them dead soon, yep. rather than having no information about that person and just leaping to that premonition. I see. And I, I think there are there are also kind of. There are neurodiversities where there are different sensory uh, inputs. So uh, people with autism have a higher propensity for processing data and stimulus than people without autism. But yes, so I I couldn't quite... At first I thought, well, surely what could be hereditary is more the belief in it rather than the ability itself. Yeah, yeah. And I think the wording is quite careful there, but I, they they were pushing it to the point of almost saying it is a thing that exists and it is hereditary. Unless I'm, unless your understanding of what I read is different. No, no, that is that is what you're saying. I su- I suppose the thing to be tested would be whether it's hereditary because you grew up in a setting where people said that existed. And therefore, you were more inclined to believe it, and more open to it, yeah. and more open to it. I'd love to see, and I don't know if this is scientifically exactly correct, but I'd love to to reverse engineer it and look for people with that gene, and then ask them about a sort of second sight. Yes, and it also because I, I I kept thinking while I was doing this, I kept thinking about the Premonition Bureau mm. book and the episode we did on that, and how their original idea for the premonition bureau was to almost to gather groups of people who could work together to avoid natural disasters and 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 other bad things happening they could predict them in advance but they were just trying to find random people with talent but 
this study kind of goes, well, hold on, there could be, like you said, somebody who's literally got a gene that means they can do this thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm surprised no one's taken that further. And the other thing, I just thought the fact that, you know, it was believed to be a huge thing both within the communities and outside the communities of the Highlands in the 16th and 17th century. And then when those cultures emigrated to Canada, it was seen in the 18th and 19th century. And then, you know, you have this study, and I thought the spread of where these uh, the people who were claiming or they thought had second sight was was really interesting because that would make sense as well because obviously the highlands people from the highlands spread everywhere right yeah over time so it would account for why the effect has been spread across scotland rather than just a highland phenomena yeah that's true that's true and would go to obviously go to the other countries and stuff but i'd love to know that gene whether it is unique amongst those people yeah because it would also explain if it if it was if it wasn't unique which i imagine it probably isn't um and it did cause that effect then would you find that within say um i don't know shaman within tribes or that sort of thing i was thinking about kind of native american Mm. belief and you know you could probably, I mean, I didn't research it for this because I wanted to focus on Scotland, but that theory could apply in a Native American setting as well, maybe. Yeah, it very much could. It very much could. And I, I wonder whether the person that carried out this study, it, it must be difficult to get funding to sort of do this kind of level yeah. of research. And I suspect it was probably one of those things where it's like, oh, we could go further. But either the evidence doesn't strongly back it up, in which case it'd be hard to get the funding, or people would say, well, it's a nice folly, but it doesn't actually do anything. And it it did. Parts of it felt like, oh, that feels, like I said, I don't think I'm qualified enough to analyse the, you know, validity of the study. But it, it, I, I was reading bits of it going, oh, that is, that's quite a leap. <laughs> and also the bit that you picked up on, this is people filling in a survey and saying, I've got second sight, so is my cousin Jeff. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> 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 that doesn't mean they got second sight, right? <laughs> I can see myself completing this survey brilliantly. The, um, the thing that I always find with second sight, and I know... Some people that I speak to um, who I know in real life who listen to this podcast, I can predict what they will say to me is, yeah, but have you got any examples of when they uh, when they won the lottery off the back of it or yeah. when they pulled off an excellent business deal? Yeah. And I, I don't know. It, it's like, it's that argument. You know the, the Fermi, the Fermi uh, statement of like, where is everybody? about aliens yeah you kind of say that about like psychics like where are all the lottery winners and the argument you have to say is well it probably doesn't work like that um which is fair enough because 
I can understand like seeing somebody that you want to see or emotionally connected with might be very different to filling out numbers in a, on a lottery sheet. So that makes sense. But even so, it just makes the evidence that backs up the reporting quite difficult because as I've said before, like I, my mother doesn't listen to this. She doesn't even know what a podcast is. <laughs> but in if you were to sit her down and really ask her, I know of two incidents where she would say, yeah, they were paranormal and I caused them by accident by the power of thought. But I can be almost 100% sure she didn't. Yeah. yeah. And But she would report that they were on, on a survey. But even so, that correlation, I think, is fascinating and shouldn't be just disregarded. And the fact no. that it was a proper piece of research yeah. as well and not done by boat rocker television, <laughs> <laughs> I really find that fascinating. No, I, I did. I found it completely fascinating. I mean, I, I'm with you. And I think the other thing I think about a lot of those stories, and we've seen them in the ones we've done on individual premonitions and doppelganger stories that we've done, you kind of... You have to have that twist of he went out with two black horses and came back with two brown ones and I saw that. Or the fact on the priest one, yeah, they were waiting for a priest, so he had a vision of a priest coming, no big deal, but actually there were two priests and nobody was expecting that. It's almost like there has to be an angle to the vision which makes you go, oh, okay, which makes you think how many times do those visions happen but they haven't got that unique little angle to it, so never get reported and never come true. Do you see what I mean? I do exactly see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. You're only going to go, you know, it's, I, I, it's like a poker player. Poker player never really remembers their losses, only their wins. <laughs> and they have many more losses than wins, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But it would go some way, if there was a medical thing there, it does go some way to sort of... Not only saying, well, where do thoughts come from? Perhaps it's part of a receiver. You know, yeah. that's a very big, high concept um, scientific thing we've spoken about before. Not necessarily yeah. just a simulation, but that. But also would go some way to explaining something that we spoke about at some length ages ago, which is that phenomena, which I think is the closest that we as people just genuinely, oh, sorry, people generally can understand which is that thing of driving mm. i had it on the way over here actually that sort of oh this looks clear to overtake but actually i'm not going to because i feel like i can't and then out of nowhere a put a car pulls out of nowhere which you is discernible yeah. and that happens to me again and again and it you can't just explain it by like you could explain it by going well you know you probably do that a lot and you didn't see you know there wasn't a car and therefore you didn't think about it yeah. but so many times i sort of go around the bend and go i need to slow down here something wrong something's going to be wrong around that corner and yeah. it usually is yeah 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 I, it also made me wonder i mean we talk about tulpas a lot on the podcast yeah it, it's it'd be fascinating to think there could be a gene for that <laughs> Yeah, 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 I agree, I agree. Uh, some kind of either psychic gene or a gene that allows you to somehow manifest something in 
a way that maybe only feels real to you, maybe not to other people, which would kind of explain the kind of banshee-like phenomenon as well, where nobody else can see it but me, but something came true. I like those tulpas that go around annoying people. You know, the ones where they're like, who's that monk over there? Like, oh, sorry about that, that's my tulpa. <laughs> well, we've got to think of a bad name. Terry the Tulpa. <laughs> Terry and the Tulpas. <laughs> oh, all those 1960s beat combos are just brilliant. Well, the, the, the downside is it's only Terry and the band and all the others are just yeah. his Tulpas and all they can do is do the things that he's imagining they can do and he's a really poor imaginer and so they just got triangles. Yeah. <laughs> Terry, could you at least Tulpa us a number one single, can you? <laughs> ding, ding. No. Well, that's my little journey of the Highlands. And yeah, I, I, what fascinated me about it was this that last bit really kind of for me just was like, wow, this idea that whole community, the, the other story that um, from Martin Martin's bit of, you know, whole towns coming out before he'd arrived, knowing he was coming or people arriving to kind of greet a funeral possession, like whole whole villages a week before it was due to happen. Those were really fascinating. I I completely agree. I completely agree. I, I I've never I've never come across that phenomena of people from the Highlands and I'd never come across the fact that it was studied. So that is all all new to me. And now I'm just gonna be like I've got a really I keep imagining what Dark Kenneth is. <laughs> I might make it as a cocktail. Yeah, Dark Kenneth. Yeah. Keeps reminding me of that REM single. What's the frequency, Kenneth? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Maybe that's what it's about. Oh, it could be. I, I think a Dark Kenneth is going to have um, uh, some rum in it. Yeah. Oh, whiskey has to be. Well, um, <laughs> that's all from uh, what could what could you be bewitching Ben and paranormal Pete for this week? Oh um, no, not bewitched. That'll mean I'll have to do that. Some people say you look like your dad. Can I just be? Um, I don't know. Boost Ben, and I really do like those chocolate bars. Or, or just Ben. Boo. Benboo. 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 <laughs> Benboo and Paranormal Pete, we will see you with more whatever it is next week. On We're the not Quantum turning that into merch, by the way. No, yeah. we won't. We really won't. Uh, we'll see you next week on the Quantum Mechanics. See you next time. Bye. Bye. the quantum mechanics.